welcome to the Risk Matters podcast. This is Bethany Murphy with Scott Insurance, and joining me today is Chris Stevens. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a uh, partner at Woods Rogers in Roanoke, Virginia, um, and been practicing law for hard to believe, but it's been over 20 years now. 20, I'm on my 21st year. So that it's hard to believe. And I'm think the same way of myself. It's hard for me to believe that I've been in the insurance industry for 20 years, but you know, it was 20 years last year. So I can remember graduating from law school thinking, wow, when I reach 20 years, I really will have been doing it a long time. It just doesn't (laughs) seem that way anymore. No, that's true. Uh, Well, thank you again for joining us today. We were going to talk about um, litigation funding and how that might be impacting auto rates on the commercial side of the industry. And we are in our 31st straight quarter of rate increases in the commercial auto industry. Uh, The last five quarters have shown an increase of over 7% in commercial auto insurance rates. And in addition to that, to the rates going up, in 2018, many states also saw loss costs from auto claims going up over 10%. So there's a big increase in the costs associated with these claims, not only the rates for the insurance premiums themselves, but then once a loss occurs, the costs for that has gone up significantly over the last year as well. So employers are really facing a pretty tight auto market when it looks when they look at you know their renewals. Um, there are, of course, many factors that drive these rate increases, but the one we wanted to talk about more specifically today is litigation funding and how that might be impacting the commercial auto industry in particular. Can you tell us what litigation funding is? Uh, well, in the personal injury setting, it's really just a, a cash advancement on the prospect of making a recovery in a personal injury claim. Uh, so, you know, as an as a what I do, being a mostly defense attorney, you really you aren't involved with any of it until you get to a point where maybe you reach settlement discussions and you find out that there's this other lien that needs to be paid off as part of some settlement, and uh, that can affect um, the ability to get something resolved short of trial mm-hmm. because maybe the demands are not as reasonable as one would think they would be otherwise. So who is funding litigation funding? Are there are these individuals or companies? No, they're companies. I'm not aware of any individuals that do it, mm-hmm. uh, but there's certainly they're national organizations that are that are set up either regionally or nationally to loan people money uh, for purpose of they they couch it as a, as to pay for their bills that, or you know supplement wages that they don't have any longer because they're out of work. Uh, so in theory, there, you know, there's a good reason to have it. Uh, in practice, I'm not too sure um, it is good. I mean, I think in limited circumstances, it's probably necessary. The vast majority is probably not. In fact, if you, if you went to attorneys that I would recommend that you go to if you had a personal injury claim, I, I venture to say that they'd probably tell you to avoid these litigator funders like the plague. I really mm-hmm. would. And and why is that? What kind of impact do they have on a case? I well, mainly you as an attorney, you like to have control of your client, mm-hmm. or at least the best you can. You can't control everybody, but you don't want some third party telling your client that 
hey, your case is worth this, when in reality, as a lawyer, you think the value is why. And uh, and you just, you know, as a lawyer, you have ethical considerations as well. And one is which, you, you know, you need to remain somewhat impartial and not let outsiders influence your legal judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just, I think they muck it up. Yeah. Anytime you have that third party interest, they, they of course ha- are looking at their financial return and the return. If they have investors that are investing in that litigation funding company and they, they want to get a return on that investment and really a new asset class of, of claims in a, in a litigation. I mean, you're already dealing with uh, Medicare uh, liens, healthcare liens, all sorts of liens that really become quite complicated. Uh, and sometimes you need CMS approval for settlements and it, it really makes everything just, a, it's just another, you know, chain that you need to be worried about whether it's getting kinked up or not. And uh, absent a client being in desperate need of of money to survive, I don't think an attorney would ever recommend that they go to one of these entities. Mm-hmm. Now, how how would these litigation funders, how do they get new cases? Are they uh, approaching attorneys and saying, if you have know of a client that might be in need of of some funding, then direct them to us? Or are they reaching out to claimants uh, first, you know, by themselves directly? As a personal experience, you know, I've done some plaintiff's work, not much, uh, but, you know, an individual in our office needed some legal assistance. We were helping them out. I started getting phone calls. Once we filed the lawsuit, they tracked that just like I can every day. I can see every single lawsuit filed in the state of Virginia. And I believe they're tracking those, looking up who the attorneys are, and then contacting the attorneys directly. And I don't know if they're contacting the, the actual plaintiffs as well. My client in that case was not contacted. They went through me. Uh, but after receiving the first call and them telling me who they were, I never picked up the phone again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they're certainly reaching out to attorneys because obviously their best referral source is going to be to find an attorney that does a lot of that work that's actually willing uh, to suggest to their client uh, that that may not be a bad idea to sort of bridge that gap uh, where you're in a period of time where you maybe do not have income and need help with bills or otherwise. Yeah, that's the from the research I've done, and I it sounds like the proponents of litigation funding, that's their main argument, is that, well, it levels the playing field for... Um, you know, it, in cases where you might have a defendant that is well established and has a lot of resources and, and a plaintiff that may not, and the litigation funding can uh, assist the plaintiff and level the playing field. And then opponents of it you know, say that it's just driving up settlement costs. I think the, the goal is not a bad goal, right? I mean, who would say that helping people survive while they do not have income or to pay medical bills that are owed is a bad idea? Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, but in practice, I believe it's probably abused, not all the time, uh, but it's always the abuse that gets the attention. And uh, you just, when they start influencing how much or how a legal dispute should be resolved, it's going too far. Well, I I did see that there's a Senate bill that's 
in the Judiciary Committee now that is the Litigation Funding Transparency Act. And so that, of course, no decision has been made on that yet, but it looks like there will be some disclosures in the future that will be required in incidences where litigation funding is present. So that may change the landscape a little bit. Well, I mean, the only thing that lawyers have to go on right now, there is a legal ethics opinion uh, that as an attorney, um, you cannot be a party to or guarantee any of these funding arrangements whatsoever. But can you advise your client as to what the agreement means? Yes. So ethically, there's nothing wrong with an attorney being involved in a case where their client has entered into one of these agreements. Mm-hmm. And you would help your client review that litigation funding agreement. Would that be something that if they didn't you listen to, to yeah, do? if they didn't listen to me and and not want to enter into it, because <laughs> that's what I would tell them. Not I would tell them do not do this. Uh, but if it if it was what they had to do uh, to obtain funds to survive, then I would of course review it for them. Mm-hmm. Now I could not in any way uh, sign off on it, be a party to it. But I could explain to them what the terms meant. So litigation funding, I, I think we've covered a good basis of understanding for our listeners about what it is and and how it, how it works. Do you feel like this that litigation funding has had an impact on settlements in Virginia? I think it's it's fairly rare still. Is that you know I don't personally see it a lot around here. I don't. Uh, you know, I mainly practice uh, west of, of Richmond, um, and it may be a different story in the eastern part of the state of Virginia. Uh, but here in, in the area of Roanoke, you don't see it a lot. Um, again, I think and part of that is because attorneys don't like their clients enter into these arrangements. But that's not to say it doesn't happen. Uh, I actually, preparing for this subject matter, send an email out to all my partners, seeing if anybody would run into it. And of course, people have. And one of them responded, you know, it, it really wasn't an issue until we got to mediation. And then it, it, the person that seemed to be driving the mediation was the litigating, litigation funder, mm-hmm. not the lawyer, which frankly may be ethically, create some ethical problems there for that attorney that was involved. But uh, I'm no ethics ex- expert. I just know to be care- be as careful as you possibly can. Sure. But uh, it mucks up that process that because again, it, you have a third person. This third person, you know, how do they determine how much they're going to loan? It's it's a it's analysis of well, it's the same analysis that I as an attorney would use on a case, which is all right. What are the liability risk? Are we going to win or not? All right. Uh, how much insurance coverage is out there? The more insurance coverage uh, can affect how much a case is worth, obviously. And then lastly are the damages. I mean, are they extensive? Are they legitimate? Uh, those three factors go to how much a case is worth, legally speaking. And then these funders will say, okay, well, we're going to loan you 10 to 15% of what we think this case is worth. All right. And they are going to be giving you advice as to how much they think a case is worth. And I believe a lawyer that does it in a regular basis in the area is much better suited to tell his client what the value of a case happens to be and what the pros and cons are with proceeding to trial than some third party that has only one thing in mind, and that is recovering on his loan. Mm-hmm. 
And you, you mentioned insurance limits and how those are a factor in determining the value from a legal perspective of a case. And we certainly saw some large settlements in 2018. I think one of the largest from an auto loss perspective was $131 million, and there were several in the 30 to $100 million range. And so we certainly see year over year settlements in the auto in the auto insurance, those settlements are escalating. And that's across the board in a lot of insurance claims and, and medical costs are increasing. Um, have you in your practice just seen a, a, a change over the years you've been in practice with settlement costs or, or settlement values? Well, I, the answer would be yes. I can remember when I first started practicing law, I worked for a, a lawyer that had been around for a long time. And uh, an older individual had died in this terrible accident that we were defending. And little, literally, he was standing at his uh, mailbox, and he was knocked clear out of his shoes by a drunk driver going down the roadway. But he was over, he was retired. He was probably 75 or somewhere around there. And I remember my partner saying, well, an individual that age, not making any money, uh, a death case along that. This is going to sound callous, but this is back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's like it's worth $100,000. That's not the case anymore, I don't believe. Um, but there's still uh, a driving force between how much a case, you're, as a as attorney, you're, you're going to be willing or looking to receive in a settlement, definitely is impacted by the amount of coverage that the defendant has, uh, you know, for businesses, it's one thing they can, they'll have high limits, but most people drive around with, you know, a hundred, three hundred thousand dollars tops coverage. Uh, and you know, as a plaintiff, if you get a judgment in excess of that, you know, running around and chasing that individual to collect the money in excess of the insurance coverage, probably not a real good return on your investment. Mm-hmm. So, but I think values, settlement values have generally gone up. How much? I don't know. It's uh, guesswork. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming in today. um, And thank you for talking to us about litigation funding. And I hope our audience has been educated about how litigation funding may or may not be affecting auto rates and um, and settlement values in Virginia and then uh, through the mid-Atlantic states as well. Well, thank you for having me. 